This is the story of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, kingdom builder, healer. He is the King of glory. He is the resurrecting Savior. They expected a conqueror, but instead they got a servant, crucified and lifted high. And the marks on his hands left us marked for salvation. Will you join me as we read Mark 1, starting in verse 39? And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. And he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Thank you, Sonia. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, as we look at the life of Jesus Christ, that uh, we will just truly, truly grasp uh, the call on our own lives personally and collectively to live like Jesus, to have the Holy Spirit live through us in ways that we seem, that seem impossible, ways that are beyond our ability. And God, I pray that you'll just cultivate your fruit in our life. God, I pray that as we look at this passage today, that it will be um, your word that changes us and makes us different when we walk out of here today. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll start out with two quotes that are pretty popular quotes that um, I think really tie in well to today's message. The first is by D.L. Moody, famous preacher back in the 1800s, and he said, Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. And then the other is by popular motivation speaker Stephen Covey. says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I'm going to tie these two together throughout the message because I think we're all, um, we can be guilty of forgetting the main thing very often in our life and focusing in on things that truly, honestly, don't make any difference at all in the big scope of things. And Satan is the father of lies. That's how Satan works. Think about that for a second, because I think sometimes we disconnect from the fact that Satan and evil actually exist in this world in the form of demons and the supernatural. But Satan works, and the way he works most often is through lies. He, uh, John tells us that he is the father of lies. And he wants us to convince us and believe things such as worry about things that most of the time don't end up coming to fruition, don't really need to be worried about, but we spend our time worrying about things, fretting over things. Satan works in those ways, wasting our time, like we said, on things that don't matter, deviating from Jesus and following paths, sometimes for years and years upon end, that ultimately lead us to personal misery, to dead end in our lives. In fact, uh, this, this quote by um, Stephen Covey, this quote was used over and over again by a youth pastor that I had one time. I actually was working in the youth ministry with him early on when I was really young. 
And he used this phrase all the time. He said, keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And by no indication whatsoever was I aware of the fact that he himself wasn't keeping the main thing, the main thing. In fact, by all appearances, he had a happy family, a godly family, seeking after Christ. But it wasn't a few years after he moved away that it came to light that he had multiple, multiple ongoing affairs going on. And all this accumulated eventually into his, his wife um, kicked him out. Eventually she took him back. He promised, crying, you know, saying, I'll never do it again. This will never happen. I promise I've changed all this stuff. And then he does it again. And the divorce ultimately is inevitable. And they, they divorce uh, a few years later. And uh, Michelle and I had uh, lunch um, years, years later with this lady um, who had moved on, remarried in a good marriage, and, and she was just telling us a little bit, kind of filling in the gaps of the situation. And this guy had a real problem, and yet he covered it up with such a great exterior, uh, seemed like godly persona. He, he said the right things. He could, he could come across with a very charismatic personality. He was, a, he was a son of a minister who was a son of a minister, a long legacy in his own life, but yet he was broken, and he... he tore apart his life because he listened to the lies of Satan rather than take the arduous journey of self-discipline through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faithfulness in God's Word. And so we can all derail and make something else be the main thing in our lives because we're all drawn to, to things other than Jesus Christ to give us that satisfaction, to find our value or our validation in life. And, and that was really what was going on in his life. And as we look at these passages and we study the life of Christ, I want us to keep the main thing the main thing. And it's a constant self-check. And that's why last week we spent a lot of time talking about uh, prayer and how Jesus modeled prayer because we need that daily self-heart check because it's so easy and we're so prone to wander off course and to, to go a different direction. But we have to daily spend time with God. And Jesus set that example, as we talked about last week, where he went away. He could have been praying throughout the day and say, you know, I talked to the Father all day long, follow my example, which he did. But he also pulled away and spent time with the Father. And it was kind of cool this week. I heard from several people who said, hey, I'm doing I mean, I'm setting aside time. It may not look super beautiful at this point, but I'm doing it. I'm getting it into a quiet place and spending time with God in prayer and, and that's awesome, and I hope that you made some steps in that direction as well, because truthfully, we will, and the biggest tragedy isn't necessarily derailing our personal life, it's not bringing glory to God, which is what we were created for in our lives, by falling into sin and living in a way that's contrary to what he wants. So we want to look at Jesus, and we want to see Jesus' example, and over and over again, how he loved his father, how that he said, I want the Father's will above everything else, modeling for us as an example. And then he loved others uh, throughout his life, and that's what he was about. And as we look at passages that have to do with physical disease and these miracles that Jesus did, he healed a lot of people. But it, let's not get distracted and think that that was the main thing even Jesus was about. That wasn't the main thing for him, and we saw that last week as well. We're going to see it again, that the main thing wasn't the healings. And it's easy for us to kind of get hung up, especially the kids in here on Family Worship Sunday. It's easy to get hung up on the miracles and miss the main thing. And I remember even as a kid that these stories of like the feeding of the 5,000, I was telling Cleve earlier, his wife Roberta did a great job in Awana Wednesday night. 
she had it's an illustration of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and she fit, printed off enough papers to have 5,000 little faces. And then she brought a picture of the bread and, and the fish, and she said, Jesus fed all of these people with this little bit of food. And, and that's incredible. What a great illustration, the way she showed the kids that. And, I, you know, as a kid, I, I remember thinking, you know, let me see if I can do that. God, I, let, me, let me just pull apart my bread and let it keep going forever until all these baskets are filled up. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, and, and I've told you before about my attempt to walk on water. And, you know, I, I, can, I can believe I can do this. And, you know, I sunk to the bottom quickly as I stepped into the water. And so we can get miss the point that the main thing was Jesus came, as Luke 19.10 says, he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. And that was Jesus' mission, and that's the same mission that he passes on to us as well. And so wherever Jesus went, we're going to see throughout the book of Mark. He usually healed the sick, but this was not just because he was being kind and being generous. The reason he did this was to display and show a sign of his authority, who he was. He was God's Messiah who was coming, as John chapter 7, verse 31 tells us. And he was giving Israel a taste of, here's what the kingdom of God is like. Here's what the kingdom of God is going to be about. And God is going to bring those in the society during that day who were the outcast of society, the, those who didn't quite measure up religiously because they couldn't have their act together like the religious leaders of the day. And that's what really the whole a Sermon on the Mount, Mark doesn't deal with the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't give us the Sermon on the Mount. But if you go back to Matthew and read the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes we make the Sermon on the Mount as something that we need to like strive toward. And what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, if you find yourself in these conditions, the poor in spirit, if you're poor in spirit today, then God meets you there. If life is, is, is tough and it's difficult, there's a special, special place that God says, look, you're in a position right now to see me more clearly than you normally would see me. I was talking to someone about that this morning through text that just through the disappointments of my life and through the heartaches of my life were some of the times where God revealed himself the most even during that time, but definitely years down the road where I looked back and could see God's hand and the things that I desperately wanted and the things that I felt like were so God's will and were the right things were the things that would have taken me far away from God and the things that God did in spite of me thinking I had the better plan and idea. Those were the things that God worked to bring the extra super blessing into my life and the things I think, you know, wow, had I been in charge, it wouldn't have been like this at all. And so... Jesus refused to let his, uh, his miracles and his working of these supernatural things define him because that wasn't what he was about. In fact, there's example after example of those who refused his authority when he, would, he left them sick. He, he didn't heal them. In fact, uh, at the pool of Bethesda uh, in John chapter 5, he only healed one person in a huge group of sick people. And so as we read about these supernatural and, and healings and these amazing things, Let's make sure that we understand Jesus' mission, and let's make sure that we see our mission through his mission, which is to glorify God and seek and to save the lost. So let's look at, the, at our text today. Verse 40, it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And so this guy had a disease called leprosy, not something we hear very often in our society today. If you've been around church for a while, you know you've heard uh, about this disease, but it encompassed quite a few different skin diseases. And in fact, today it is applied to something called Hansen's disease, 
which is a progressively disfiguring disease. Most of the time, you only find it in Africa and Asia today. And during the biblical times, the priest would operate. He would almost act as if he was a doctor helping these people. And so sometimes we look at it as like a really heartless thing that these people get declared unclean. They get cast out. They get treated this way. But as the priest dealt with these people, oftentimes there was great sympathy and there was great uh, interaction between the priest and the person who potentially was infected with this to guide them and to examine and spent weeks actually as the law prescribed to look at the, the disease to make sure that it was truly what it might be and if it wasn't then the person was okay to go on and live their normal life but the, the reason why that these people were put out of their society was because the, the group, the community was more important than the individual and without the modern medicine that we have today that this could run rampant throughout their, their community and throughout their society. And so it was for the good of the community, even though it may seem heartless as we look at this today. And so the priest would examine them, he would watch them, he would have them come back, and he would either declare them unclean or clean. They were, uh, they, if they were declared a leper, then they would be put out from society. They'd be dismissed from society and until this uh, disease or skin ailment healed up or presented itself as something that, not, that wasn't long-term that could be treated and dealt with. And so not only did the person deal with the physical effects at times where it was very devastating and they lost fingers and toes and noses and they, and they lost body parts over this nasty and horrible disease, but also their psychological and emotional well-being. They were just put away, put away. And, and so I want to read from Leviticus what the law prescribed. And I've asked Trent to come up and help me today. Come up here, yeah, Trent. Yeah, you, Trent. Because today's Family Worship Sunday, I like to have one of the kids up here to help me illustrate this. Uh, and so Trent, he's going to illustrate what it was like to be a leper during this time period, to have the disease of leprosy. And so I'm going to read you the passage and give you a couple props here, and then I just need you to act, act this out, okay? So he says, Those who suffer from, the, a, from a serious disease... They must tear their clothes, all right? So I brought you a shirt so you don't have to tear your, your shirt because that looks like a nice shirt. I wouldn't want you to do that. So I brought you this shirt because I need rid of it anyway, and it smells bad, but it doesn't smell too bad. All right, so I'm going to put it on you here. But you don't mind, do you? In fact, your mom tries to get you to look nice, and you probably prefer something like this, right? All right, so I need you to just take that and just, just tear it right there. I, I got it started. Just tear, tear a little bit so you would have a torn clothes. Yeah, there, that's good. All right, right there. Let's leave it on. All right, now I need you to just take some of this styling gel. Even though the person wouldn't have styling gel, your hair looks nice today. So I want you to rub this through your hair and mess it up as best you can because that's what the passage says. It says that the person was to leave their hair uncombed, all right? So get it really nice and messed up there, all right? All right, you're looking good, all right. Now rub, rub, on, 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 on the bad shirt, rub, rub your hands so they're clean. I don't want you to get this on your mouth. But the next thing it says was they must cover their mouth. So can you cover your mouth with your, yeah, you can cover it with that or your hand. And then you have to yell out, you have to call out, unclean, unclean. Can you do that? Just yell out nice and loud, unclean. A little bit louder, right here in my mic. Unclean, unclean. All right, so you get the idea. So this guy is clearly recognized. Hey, hold on, stay here just for a second. All right, keep that on. All right, you can keep that for a souvenir too. Um, this guy is going to be recognized as having this disease. 
And the verse continues on, as long as the serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation. You know what that means, living in isolation? That means all alone, all by yourself, far away from people, in the place outside the camp. And so basically, he was totally and completely ostracized by his society, by his community, because of this disease. So we need to put ourselves into this situation. We need to see ourselves in this way because not only can we relate to this spiritually, but we need to relate to this in the culture and the situation that Jesus is dealing with here with an actual person, an actual guy who was literally, literally put away and his only hope was Jesus. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. Give him a hand. So... This guy was truly a wretched man. He was. He was a wretched man, an outcast. He was hopeless. He was desperate. He was humiliated by his society. And to make matters worse than the religious leaders of the day, which we've seen this at other points throughout the Gospels, they think that the law of Moses wasn't enough to bring about the morality that God wanted and bring about the holiness that God desired. And so they would tack on more and more to the law to make it even safer that this commandments and these things weren't broken. And one of the things that they added to the law was it was illegal to even speak to this leper. So that was added on, tacked on. They, they weren't even allowed to talk to him. He was literally a dead man walking. Dead man walking. And I, and I thought as I was studying for this passage, the practical application of this, even in my own uh, journey throughout my childhood, growing up in the church and so on, that it's really easy for us to make things that aren't the main thing the main thing. And I grew up in churches, and I've told you about the churches I grew up in before, which I would consider very legalistic, meaning things that weren't laid out in Scripture, things that aren't in the Bible for us to adhere to and follow. These things were treated as if they were gospel. They, they were preached as if these were for everyone, and everyone, if you wanted to be right with God, and if you wanted to fit into this community, you must keep these extra-biblical rules and laws that were added. Now, a couple of things. There's some people here who you're just naturally maybe a renegade, all right? So you look for opportunities to be a rule-breaker any chance you get. Jesus didn't break rules for the sake of breaking rules. Jesus broke rules for a purpose. I, I was also thinking just of a practical example of this in my own life where I maybe went against culture or society in order to do something that I knew God wanted me to do. And I think the best illustration of that was a few years ago when a, group, a small group of us went down to Tallahassee to an abortion clinic and we began to protest outside the clinic. And I, I, you know, I, I grew up being taught you know, manners and you, know, you shouldn't be obnoxious, you should treat people with respect and all those things. Yet when the abortion doctor got out of his SUV and began to walk into the clinic, people began to yell and scream at him, and including myself, and, and, and said, murderer, what are you doing? Murderer, stop this. And as people, as ladies, and oftentimes with boyfriends or husbands, would drive into the clinic, we would do our best without touching their vehicle, but we'd, we would try to get into their way and to dissuade them, to discourage them from going in. And a few would roll down their windows and begin to dialogue and talk, and we would say, don't do this. There's other options. There's other choices. We can direct you to another place. And so we were taking society's expectations and throwing them out the window for a bigger cause, a bigger, a bigger thing that God wanted us to do. 
And that goes on every week down there at the abortion clinic in Tallahassee. Uh, thank God we don't have a clinic here in our town, in our county. But there are times when we have to rebel against the expectations of society, against what even religious leaders say, this is right or wrong, and you're looking through your Bible and you're saying, okay, where, where is that found? Not for just for the sake of rebelling, but for the sake of the glory of God. We, we looked for months at 1 Corinthians where Paul talked about, look, it, there's no need to eat meat that offends your brother unnecessarily. All right, If eating meat offends your brother, don't do it. Um, if, if they're aware of what's going on. So his whole point was that it, it, there's no reason to be a rule breaker, to be a rule breaker just to flaunt your freedom in front of other people. But there's times where, where depending on the situation, the circumstance where spiritual authorities and leaders bring up extra biblical things and try to take away freedom for the sake of their own convictions or their own way of seeing God and, and Scripture. And so be, be leery of that. And Grace, I'm sure we have our areas where we do that too. We, we haven't arrived here, okay? But we try our best not to allow legalism and extra-biblical expectations to sneak in and, and say, if you're not doing these things, then you don't quite measure up to God. You're not quite there yet. You're not quite part of this community. Here's the thing. Living for Christ and following Jesus is a journey. It, it is a journey. And sometimes we can think that because someone is a Christian that all of a sudden they should be like way down the road on their journey uh, and there should be maturity there that really isn't realistic for how long they've been a believer or how long they've been really in the Word and studying Scripture. And sometimes we can get impatient with people because they don't measure up to where we, we think they should be. Look, that's no excuse if you're sitting here and, and you think it's an excuse not to pursue God and not to keep taking steps forward in your relationship with God and, and seeking Him and asking the Holy Spirit, show me how to live holy today. Show me how to be holy in my relationships in my life. That's no excuse. But, but to us, let's be careful that we don't forget that probably where we're at today took years to get to where we're at. And, and it took a journey and a lot of ups and downs, and a lot of people speaking into our lives. And there's one reason why we put a lot of focus here at Grace on discipleship, because I've learned that you can speed up the process of growing to be more like Christ if you have people in your life who are speaking in and sharing the wisdom that they've gleaned throughout the years. I love the fact that in our church, our, our, our leadership team, our elder board, is made up of people of a wide variety of ages. That's not calling anybody old, okay? Just a wide variety of ages, and, and where we can gleam and learn from wisdom. And, and it's a great environment of prayer and seeking God. And that's really beneficial to me. But you need that as well. You need people in your life who are going to speak truth to your life and, and how it applies to specific situations. Maybe, you know, you're sitting here like, you know, I'm in a marriage. It, it, it's horrible, okay? It, it, it's just, we, we're not on the same wavelength. We're, we keep missing each other. We're going this different directions. We just, everything seems to be broken. There's no communication whatsoever. Well, Scripture says that ladies in the church, older ladies in the church should come and disciple, should minister to younger ladies in the church to help because maybe a lot of the women went through the exact same thing or very similar things when they were your age. And they can come alongside you and encourage you and lift you up and show you just practical ways to be more like Jesus in your marriage. And guys, the same thing. We're encouraged to, to, to minister to the younger men, to reach those who maybe and, and, and help those who aren't quite as far along as we are. 
And so I encourage everyone in here to be about that, to be about doing that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be really far along the journey. You just have to be a little bit further along than somebody else. And so you don't have to have arrived. You just need to be a little bit further along and say, hey, let's get together. Let's start meeting once a week or once every other week just to have a time where either I can learn from you or I can, we can share and I can disciple you during this time. And so I hope you'll really take that seriously and do that because Jesus recognized that there were some things in, in, in this society, in this culture he lived in, which were not of God. They were not things that should have been imposed upon those in society, like this idea of speaking, even speaking to this leper. And he broke the rules, plain and simple. Look what he did. When the leper said, if you will, he asked Jesus, I, like, I know you can heal me, but will you have mercy on me? Will you do it? And what did Jesus do? When Jesus was moved with pity, he stretches out his hand and touches him and says to him, I will be clean. And so Jesus spoke to the man. He, he talked to the man. And he went on beyond that. He, he really, really took what the law of Moses prescribed in this, in this issue ceremonially. And he broke it because technically he wasn't even supposed to touch the man. But why did Jesus, why was he able to touch the man? Because obviously we know Jesus could not get sick. He could not get the disease and so we've got to be careful when we interpret Scripture and, and apply Scripture because I know some people who think that they can just live their lives just carefree and free among any situation, and they're like immune. they got, they got a force field around them that they won't get the disease or whatever that they may be dealing with certain people. Look, Jesus was God. He could reach out and he could touch the leper, and he knew that he wouldn't get sick. And I think that's why he probably did not obey the letter of the law of Moses here, but he still obeyed the spirit of the law because he was above the disease. He was above anything that could happen to him. But, you know, the same is not true for us. I, I mean, I think good wisdom is in, in place when we deal in situations where we could, you know, potentially be infected with something. You know, I've known people who, you know, don't wear gloves when dealing with blood because they're on a mission trip, you know, and like God's going to be, be extra there on a mission trip to help you not get the diseases. You know, God gives you a brain. He gives you wisdom to take the measures necessary. And there may come a time when a situation calls for, you know, just happening to be a little bit reckless and deal with the situation regardless. But that's not probably the norm for us. And so we, we, so Jesus wasn't saying, hey, just throw caution to the wind and just minister in whatever way. Jesus was God. And I love what I love about Jesus in this situation. And I see this throughout Mark. As you read the Gospels, you see many times where Jesus could take care of an issue or a problem without going a little bit further than he did. Like, for instance, in this situation, Jesus could have easily have just spoke the word, you're healed, bro, you're, you're, it's, it's good, you're, go. You're, you're. But Jesus intentionally reached out and he touched this guy. He, he, and you see that again and again where Jesus does things to build faith or show compassion or to love people. And I love that. And I think there is application for us there that the, the, the truth is that we need to be engaging in, in our love for people. We need to, to truly, truly look for opportunities to make people feel like, you know, God loves you and I'm the body of, of Christ. I'm the hands and feet of Christ. And I literally, literally want to love you and, and minister to you. And sometimes physical touch is, is appropriate. Sometimes it's not. But God sets an example through Christ's ministry here that he reaches out, he touches the person, he says to them, I will, I'll do it, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And so Jesus 
places love and compassion over ritual and regulations. He says, I'm going to reach out, and I'm going to love this guy, I'm going to touch this guy, I'm going to minister to this guy. And he showed the outcasts of society that they can have access to God's blessing as well. And I think 43 is kind of an interesting verse that Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus say, hey, don't tell anybody, okay? Keep, the, keep this quiet. Why would he do that? Well, a, a couple of things that you need to remember here. The expectations the Jewish people had of what a Messiah would be, definitely not what Jesus came to do. Jesus' mission was to come to be the suffering servant, to die for our sins, raise again the third day. But the people of that society were not looking for somebody to die. They were looking for someone to kill, someone to destroy the enemy, the Romans that had taken captive their society, destroyed their property, enslaved their people, violated their temple. That's what they wanted from a Messiah. And Jesus wasn't ready. We're built to this point, but Jesus wasn't ready to reveal himself and what his mission truly was. And so he charged this guy, he said, say nothing, don't, don't say anything about it. But, you know, I, I think for us, we gotta, that prohibition's not on us at all, right? I mean, we can think of a million excuses not to share the gospel. Here, this guy, we're going to see, he was charged not to share it, and he still shared it. We're charged to share it, and what, we, what do we do? We stay silent. And this, is, this guy's still disobedient in what he did, but at the same time, you got to understand, he was full of excitement. He was amazed at what Jesus had done in his life and, and the difference that Jesus had made. And so I think about even those in our own congregation, our church, who are most passionate about God. Who, who are those usually? The people who first see Jesus come to Jesus. And there's so much passion, there's so much energy, so much excitement. But what happens over time, it begins to wane. And pretty soon, you know, we can't pull the gospel out of someone but I love being around the energy of those who are, have either recommitted their lives or new converts to the faith because there's so this passion. Sometimes it's rough and raw, and, and it's not always exactly the things that they, they're supposed to say, but yet they're eager and excited about sharing the gospel. You know, I think in our society, I actually read the statistic the other day, pretty, pretty sad. It said, and I'll probably miss the number, uh, because I'm just recalling it from my memory here, but it was something like 60% of young evangelical millennialists who truly believe in Jesus, who truly believe in the Bible, they don't believe we should practice evangelism. They don't think that we should be sharing our faith. And you see, that's, why it, it, that's what culture has done. It says, look, it's fine for you to believe what you want to believe, and you know, it, it, it's cool that, that you are there, as long as you don't try to tell us what to do and impose your values and impose what you think is right upon us. And that's what these younger evangelicals, these millennialists, have bought into this idea that, you know, I just my faith. And what happens is that we begin to accept simply what I would call a social gospel, which is nothing new. It's been around forever. A social gospel says, look, I'm just going to be nice I'm going, to, I'm going to love people and do good works. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to have a soup kitchen. I'm going to do, you know, have a clothing closet. I'm going to have all these great things. I'm not downing those things. Those are all great things. 
but never will you ever hear me say anything about Jesus because, you know, I don't want to offend you or I don't want you to think, you know, that I'm some religious fanatic or something. And so what happens is we turn this gospel into more social than gospel. And we allow society to hold us back from truly being bold about Jesus. And look, Jesus, when he went and healed and when he made a difference in people's lives, it wasn't for the sake so they could have a full and wholesome life and so they could be blessed. He did these things for people so they would know the Father, so they would know redemption, so they would know him and his power and his authority. And the same thing is true for us. While we should be about doing good things and good works And we should have the soup kitchens and the clothing closets. And we have, in our town, we have resources that provide those things to people who are in need. But we got to make sure that Jesus is always spoken. The gospel is always given. It's always presented. People know the reason why we're doing the good things that we're doing. And that's Jesus Christ. And so look for opportunities. I know many of you have been in the life prep class, uh, the contagious class. I would encourage you, as you do good deeds, to give God the glory by saying, hey, you know, that's what, you know, Jesus, I'm doing that for Jesus, ultimately. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to do it for you, but it's for Jesus and his glory. Or have these little things that you guys have been working on in this class where they're just little transitions into the gospel through things that, that are said or ways that you word converse, move conversations so that they can begin to see Christ and your purpose behind these things. And so take that challenge on. I don't care who you are in here right now, and I don't care how long you've been a believer Look for opportunities with the guys who work for you, the guys who work with you. Look for the, the, the waiter or the waitress that waits on your tables. Look for opportunities. And, and I'm, I'm reminding myself, too, of this because it's easy to get into the group where we're just about us and getting from point A to point B and being served. But the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life for many. And that's our call as well, to seek and save the lost. So think about practical opportunities you have with people right now where you could just really honestly just... Drop little hints of the gospel or bring glory to God, maybe in a bold way that, that you feel led to do. And it doesn't always go well. I know a guy in here right now who's told me about telling people on his job about Christ, and their people are like, oh, taken back by it. They're like, Whoa, what's going on here? And we don't really want that. But he's so excited about his faith that he can't help to share it with people. And we need more of that. And this guy, you know, even though, like I said, he disobeyed and, and he caused a lot of of misery in Jesus' ministry because he would not listen and do what Jesus told him. For us, that's not the case. Look at verse 44. Uh, He said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And then, But the man went out and began to talk freely about it, and he spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So Jesus became so popular at this time in his ministry, people were just coming to him to be healed and have the miracles that he had to just get out in in other places because the word was spreading and his popularity kept growing and growing and growing. But we see this guy in in, in verse 45, uh, I'm sorry, go back to verse 44 again. Um, Jesus says to him, he says, I need you to go and tell the priest. I need you to go before the priest. Why Why did Jesus tell him to do that? Because this guy could have been clean. He could be in the hole at this point. But until he was recognized by the priest as being clean and free of his disease, that, that it didn't matter. He would still have been an outcast in society. So he had to go, as the law prescribed, he had to go to the priest. And remember I said the priest was almost like the doctor of that time who would examine him. There was a, a period of time, uh, again, where he would have to wait 
and go back and see the priest and be declared clean um, if, if he was clean, which this guy was clean. And I think about this opportunity for this man as he's going back to the priest. He's excited. He's cheering with everyone. But he, he, he needs that stamp of approval from the priest. But what do you think the priest, what do you think the priest heard from this guy? What do you think he told the priest about what happened? He told this priest, the religious guy of the day, he told him, hey, there's this guy named Jesus. He brings healing, which is a picture of redemption. He was lost. He was broken. He was wretched. But Jesus touched him. And he was whole. And he spread that word. He made it known. And spiritually speaking, if you're here and you put your faith in Jesus, that's the same as true for you. You were wretched. You were desolate. You were an outcast from God, eternally separated from him. Nothing that you could do could earn his favor. You could never live holy enough to meet his standard, to measure up. But somewhere in your life, think about it. Think about you. When did Jesus extend salvation to you? I don't want to over-allegorize this passage, but it can't help but prompt me to think about the fact that if we're sitting here and we're believers, that God reached out to us. Yet we can just go about our merry way and live our lives as if Nothing's really changed so often. So many people have the good religious Sunday talk. They can, maybe they've been around church long enough that they can say the right things and impress the right people like the youth pastor I had. But it's covering up inner sloth, spiritual laziness, lack of spirit-controlled self-control. And they keep masking and masking and masking who they really are. And God says, I want you to be who I declare you to be. I want you to be who I've made you to be. Who did God make you to be? Sons of the Most High. Child of the King. Redeemed. A holy nation. A royal priesthood. That's what Peter tells us. We have a message to tell. Let's don't let junk invade our lives. And, and it makes me change the word because that's almost like we're a victim. Let's don't allow junk into our lives because we're spiritually lazy. Yes, we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. We're going to be mad at ourselves. I, I was joking around with some people. They saw my two emails I sent out because the first one had like two typos in like this much text. And they're like, ugh. What I do that? And I was like, I told somebody this morning, I was like literally almost like hitting myself in the head because I was so mad I messed up. Look, that's the least of my mess ups, all right? All right that, that's minor compared to most of the way that I mess up in my life. And I'm thankful for God's grace and his mercy and his redemption. We all need that every single day. But don't push back into this way of living that says, I'm living my life for me, not for you, God. I'm making my choices and my decisions based upon what feels right to me versus what glorifies and honors you. 
And when we do sin, we quickly confess, and God restores. And we get back on the path, and we keep going toward Jesus. We spread his word, we spread his name, we make him known.